Helping people to make informed choices about healthcare is rightly the norm in many healthcare settings now. But in medicine, the path towards true informed choice can be tortuous. Is it always the ethical no-brainer that we think it is? An analysis article on the BMJ.com argues that preventive medicine and expanding disease definitions have changed the ethical premises of informed choice and our good intentions to avoid paternalism may inadvertently advance over medicalization. I'm Navjoit Lada, analysis editor, and I'm joined now by Dr. Minna Johansson of the Department of Public Health and Community Medicine at the University of Gothenburg and one of the authors of the article. Hello, Minna. Hello. Hi, thanks so much for joining us. Um, just to start with, can you set out the premise of your article? Yeah, so uh, informed choice and shared decision making clearly represents a huge step forward compared to previous paternalistic approaches in medicine. But in the context of too much medicine, we see pitfalls and even downsides of relying too much on informed choice. Conventionally, we're offering informed choice when considering different treatment options, and this makes perfect sense in situations with an unambiguous diagnosis and clear-cut needs of the patient. The problem is that in medicine today, many of the diagnoses that we use are in fact not that unambiguous, because being given information can cause harm, and to give information is not a neutral act. Which diagnosis we consider and which information we choose to provide in the consultation, these are value-based decisions, especially so in areas where the diagnosis might not be immediately relevant to the patient. I think we need to recognize that and not hide behind a mask of scientific neutrality. And we also need to take into account that strong market forces are pushing people's preferences in the direction of more medicine, and this complicates the notion of personal preferences. Like Our point is that the concept of informed choice in the context of too much medicine is complex and double-edged. It sounds ethically appealing to most of us, and we are definitely not opposed to involving patients in decisions. But informed choice does not solve the ethical dilemmas of too much medicine, and there are downsides, which we need to start taking full responsibility for. What you describe in the article is that there are certain scenarios and um, certain kind of healthcare contexts where this is a particular issue. And you mentioned preventive medicine. Um, can you talk us through the kinds of scenarios where um, informed choice um, might not be the best solution to the problem of too much medicine? Like screening is the most obvious example. We invite citizens to an intervention they are not asked for, and we put them in a situation with no possibility to avoid making a choice. And the same is often true for primary prevention, like hypertension, osteoporosis, as well as in areas with a great risk of medicalization, like mild or moderate psychiatric symptoms, for example. In these situations, the diagnostic cascade is driven by the healthcare system and not by the patient herself. And when considering the ethics of informed choice, it's essential to take, it, take into account who started the process leading to the call for an informed choice in the first place. Many things that we do, perhaps especially in, in general practice, is, is not driven by the patient's own agenda, but more a product of the healthcare system. Because nowadays, with expanding disease definitions and, and defining ordinary life circumstances as, as diagnosis, we we are we have our fingers in the pie, so to say. We we uh, we we drive the informed choice that has to be made. We're setting the tone of more is better. We're kind of pro programming patients to think a certain way. Is that what you mean? The confusing part is that I'm discussing two different things. First of all, it's uh, the thing that leads us to the decision in the first place. The pathway to the to the diagnosis in the first place is 
is not value neutral. That that we have to reflect on on the pathway to to uh, the informed choice situation. That's the first thing I think. And the second thing is that when you arrive to the informed choice situation, we we have to be aware that to make truly informed choices based on truly personal preference, that's like an utopia. It's not possible. Uh, so we can't rely on that on an eth- from an ethical perspective. We can't rely on that to to solve the situations. Uh, you see my point. It's two different things. And- it's not solely the informed choice, which is the the choice. There are all these kind of precursors to getting to that point where mm. that that lead you to a certain place. Yeah, it's it it may it may not be relevant to the patient. Like for example, like a clinical example from <laughs> for me, I when I I started to think that that when you meet patients in stressful life circumstances and they talk about their lives and their symptoms. And then it's very uh, easy for doctors today, I think, to to just go on this DSM path and you you ask all the questions related to depression and you you find out that they perhaps even give them a questionnaire and and you you find out, okay, they fulfill the criteria for for moderate depression, for example. But but that might not be relevant to that patient because maybe it's like the the problems at work or a relationship with a with a uh, relative and that perhaps we 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 could talk about that instead yeah i think what you're saying is that we need to better contextualize um certain scenarios and take into account all sorts of factors um about an individual when we see them yeah like in in most in many guidelines we we have um they report the evidence and what we should do, and then at the end it says that we should like um, like personal preferences and inform, the importance of informed choice and so. But it's it's like in a way it's too late. It's at, it's in the end. Perhaps we should start with what, why not start with like is this given um, the patient a, a possibility to choose if they want this uh, uh, diagnosis at all, or if it's relevant the validity of the diagnosis from the start. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what do you think can be done about this? I mean, um, you talk a little bit about the, in the paper about just reflecting on this situation. Um, but what are the, some of the steps that you think can move us away from this situation? Well, that's a difficult question. It's so much easier to, to criticize than to have the solution. <laughs> but I think it's, uh, um, what's happening with informed choice uh, in, in, um, as a way to justify many uh, interventions that we have today, it, it frightens me a little. Like I'm, my, te- my thesis is about uh, AAA screening, for example, and it has been, informed choice has been promoted heavily to, to, uh, to solve the ethical issues, that, the, the ethical problem that AAA screening uh, improves the prognosis for some people, by, uh, but in the same time, um, it has serious harms for other people, and I think that we need to that we should we should think more critical about which new disease disease criteria and in, intervention with the close benefit harm balance that we should offer. And I think in, in the individual consultation, we have a tendency, I think, to see information as something inherently good, and that information cannot cause harm. Uh, it's it's the thing that we do with information that causes harm. But I think that that is not true. Because uh, information can cause uh, quite a lot of harm. Like um, I read this very interesting study about women with osteoporosis, for example. They they had it. They they got the diagnosis of osteoporosis, and then they start. Um, they just started to get very afraid of of uh, like going by bicycle or. Uh, 
lifting heavily and all the symptoms from their bodies. They they said, oh, I have some ache in my back and it's probably because of the osteoporosis or I have pain in my arm and it's probably because of the osteoporosis and they perceive themselves as fragile. So the information that we get is it's not, um, it can be harmful and we need to understand that and take responsibility for that, uh, I think. Great. Well, um, Dr. Minna Johansson, thanks so much for joining us today. And that analysis article is now available on the bmj.com 